and welcome back to the book and life podcast today i have somebody i truly admire because if you can do children's and young adults and be actually really entertaining with them you're gonna be somebody i admire and think the world of because as a writer you know yourselves if you're struggling with your own work then sometimes why it feels impossible and children's books feel even more difficult. So I cannot wait to introduce this amazing woman who has so much talent. I couldn't believe what I'd stumbled on when I found her and I can't wait to share her with you today. But first, as you all know, as it's been, I will read the blurb for The Shadow, which is a YA novel uh, for the Time Guardian series and it's book number four the battle is over the war is won the prophecy complete but life can't just pick up where it left off for ethan struggling to cope with tragic loss at odds with friends in the guard he finds himself adrift jumping at shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there blaming herself for the goddess athena's death giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortals plan for world domination Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart, or the strings of a goddess short on praise, but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battle through the past and into an impossible future, darkness lurks around every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadows? And just a reminder that Rosemary Aitken is um, going to be donating all of her royalties from her Roman Roman British crime series, which is written under her maiden name, Rosemary Rowie. All editions can be found online and will go to aiding the war in Ukraine and the refugee effort. So with that being said, I cannot wait a second longer to introduce you to Lou Abercrombie. Please tell me I pronounced that right because I like freaked out with my hubby and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to get this right. It's going to go wrong. So please tell me I got that right. Yes, Abercrombie. Woo! <laughs> Many people get it wrong. They can't, You can hear when, when you get those cold calls, people kind of go, is that Mrs. Abercrombie, yep. and I can't get it right. It's Abercrombie, like the fashion brand, but nothing to do with the fashion brand. Well, it's it's a good way to get tied into it, I suppose. <laughs> uh, well, my husband, um, funnily enough, he's called Ian and Fleming, so he gets a lot of the James Bond jokes. Of course, yes. But it's gotten worse because people are now um, actually tying him to the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang series. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, he, bless him. And the thing is now I'm Fleming. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I I kind of like, you know that way where people ask you what your husband's name is? And then I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to answer this because I know where this is going. <laughs> So yeah, but no, he, he, it's, it's fun. Uh, we just got married in November there. So yeah, uh-huh. still getting used to the old last name. Um, I did it today. I was in hospital for an appointment and the physio came out and she was like, Crystal Fleming. No answer. Crystal Fleming. <laughs> and he's like, that's you. <laughs> like, 
Sorry. Get used to it. It'll happen. I know. It's weird. We've been together 14 years, but it's like obviously not as man and wife. So it's like totally, totally throwing me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. But he, he, ha- uh, he laughs at me every time, which I think makes it worse. So <laughs> I, I have to talk about this because I'm a huge mermaid fan. Okay. Um. So I grew up in Shetland where we had selkies and mermaids and those were kind of our big, you know, our superheroes were mermaids and selkies. Uh Um, So when I saw coming up for air and it was somebody swimming and it was, it gave me selkie vibes. I don't know, like selkie mermaid vibes. And I was like, oh, oh, woman after my own heart. (laughs) Yeah, so I, mean, I gotta, I gotta hear more about this. Like, how did you come about creating it? Where, where, where did you get the idea from? Um, well, I'm a, I'm a big swimmer. My first book um, was all about swimming, and um, and in that book, there is a swimming club called the Mermaids. So there was a kind of link there already. And when I was doing a swim round uh, in Copenhagen, you can do an, an open water swim round the canals. And when yeah. I was doing it, uh, 2018, I think, I saw a load of mermaids swimming um, because there were people with, the, you know, the tails and the full get up uh, oh, doing the swimming event. And they were amazing swimmers because obviously you need to have an amazing kind of butterfly stroke to be able to do it. So anyway, I, I saw those, which kind of inspired more of the writing. And then when I was looking around for the next project, the next idea, I I just was I think I was just googling mermaids for some reason because I felt like I wanted to keep the swimming but maybe go in a slightly different direction and I saw an article by someone who had wanted to be photographed as a mermaid and they'd gone and done a freediving course down in Newquay and as part of that you then get you can be photographed dressed up as a mermaid so I thought oh I fancy doing that so I did. I do do actually, and I'm I'm pretty scared of the water. But uh, that, well, that might be a an island thing. Yeah, that might be. I, I so basically, I did a three day mermaid course. First two days were doing this Ada level one and two free diving course. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the third day was the kind of final final bits of um doing the mermaids and how to pose underwater, how you do the breath and everything like that. And then they brought in a photographer and we got to choose our mermaid tails, choose our mermaid bikini, which I will say was made in China where clearly the women don't have the size bust that I do. And so lots of the photographs every now and then <laughs> when I saw the photographs I was like can you you know a little bit of under boobage going on there so um he had to do a fair amount of photoshop on that so oh, I yeah yeah I can yeah. imagine yeah and I but the thing I found was that I absolutely am terrible at freediving I am oh. wonderful at swimming but I prefer staying on the surface and not um not going down. I, I don't mind doing a little bit of going down underwater, but I wasn't a naturalist at all. I'm not very good at holding my breath and posing as a mermaid. Basically, things like looking at the camera underwater makes you go cross-eyed. Trying to hold your breath, pose, stay underwater, not look at the camera, make sure that your bikini top doesn't ride up and reveal everything. Um, 
it was just very, very difficult. So I do have some photographs. And my author photo, actually, at the back of Coming Up For Air is my mermaid photo. But it's kind of the best of a really bad bunch of photos because I'm... And the thing is, you forget, like, your hair. You know, when you're underwater, yeah. what does your hair do? And I've got short hair. And it, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it didn't it do that. Well up. Yep. It yep. just looked terrible. So, yeah, I, I did a, a mermaid course. So that gave me the idea for my book because... I, I wanted to create someone who was the opposite to me, i.e. someone who found that they were naturally good at freediving. Oh, and- wow. I love that. And funnily enough, you mentioned that because um, outdoor swimming is what we do in Shetland. Yes. But unfortunately, we have to be very careful because there's killer whales that visit Shetland on a regular basis. Wow. So you just need to be a little bit more aware Gosh. of where they are. Yes. Um, but my... my I myself, because we, we were thrown into the sea as children so that we would learn to survive and cope in the North Sea um, due to the fact that they had a lot of kids who were very, who'd fallen in yeah. and didn't know what to do. So um, one of the sessions that we went swimming, I actually got chased by a seal. Yeah. I don't know what he thought I was. Oh, wow. I didn't have flippers on. I was yeah. just in this little bat suit my friend led me. And I'm swimming like, normally and then he suddenly starts swimming next to me and looking at me and I'm thinking okay I'm just <laughs> going to continue on maybe he'll go away and then the next thing I felt was him nibbling at my feet so I swam faster and he thought this was a game and oh my goodness by the time I got out of the water I was absolutely out of breath yeah panting and the seal was sitting at the end of the beach just staring at me with a big smile on his face. and I was like oh but now, funnily enough, that same seal jumps in and out of the uh, the water at the fishing boats, and he is huge. Oh, wow. He's the size of a small boat now. Yeah. Oh, that's Because <laughs> they've all given him fish off the ends of their boats as, as they come in. Uh, but, yeah, he that was the thing about us. We had to be, obviously, a little bit more aware of the wildlife. <laughs> yes. I have swum with seals, but um, they weren't interested in me, actually. Um be, be very grateful. It's, it seems to be if you've got coloured feet, that's what I've learned. If you have coloured feet or you're in a very black or grey dry suit, oh. they tend to think of you as one of them oh, okay. and then they want to play with you. Yes. But what they forget is that if they actually pierce the dry suit, it fills with water. <laughs> So I had that situation too, where I was dry one minute, next minute. Ooh, that's a lot of cold water. Yeah, I bet the water's cold in Shetland as well, isn't it? Yeah, it never ever is warm, but it is so blue. That's the thing. It's it's like tropical looking water, but then you step in it, and it's like you've just stepped into an ice. Oh, do you know what I mean? An ice field. Oh, I'm gonna oh. come up there and swim sometime. That's definitely it, it's that. stunning, and I, I highly recommend it. There's so many um, free like swimming clubs up there. Right. They're not quite. They're not into doing it in a mermaid way because it's so you get a really strong sea up there. So they're all in. There's occasional ones that'll do it in bikinis, but they're all in like dry suits usually. Yeah, because most of them have common sense. It's yeah. usually the it's usually the tourists that go in the, their bikinis, and then they suddenly run back out again. And then you see all the the Shetland ones that are like <laughs> that. You can get a dry suit with LHD down on the main street. <laughs> they actually give them directions to my dad's uh, my dad's shop where he sells all these uh, 
dye suits and stuff like that. But yeah, it's stunning. It really is stunning out there. And you can see just, I mean, to swim at the cliffs and have the birds all swimming above you and seeing the puffins and being able to swim with them. They're a little bit snappy, but mm. they're beautiful to watch. And just seeing them diving down next to you and going up is, is quite amazing. I just got puked on one by one. But <laughs> I was a little too, I, I gotten, I didn't realize I got too close to the nests essentially uh, yeah. and it I don't know if it was trying to scare me off or what but I don't think it meant to puke on me <laughs> um luckily I was in the water so I cleaned it off pretty quick but mm. yeah no it was, it was crazy and, and that was that's what I grew up with and I love meeting other swimmers because I can't do it anywhere I'm on the mainland so I don't go outdoor swimming I'm lucky if I can go in a swimming pool sometimes um but yeah that was that was something I grew up with and I absolutely adored it that and um, have you done the cliff climbing next to the ocean so you climb up the cliff and you jump off into the water no i'm a little bit more cautious in that <laughs> regard <laughs> I, I did that a few times as a teenager so yeah, yeah i would i wouldn't want to do it in shetland again i would maybe want to do it with like a warmer sea so you're not like frozen by the time you get to the top no. yeah tombstone i don't know i'm 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 I think I've just lost some of my I, I really like an adventure but I don't know that I like doing that kind Dangerous of adrenaline thing now that's a bit too scary these days well I laugh because all my friends were like oh you'll you climb a cliff and you'll jump into the ocean but you'll not go uh bungee jumping it's like no yeah don't I fancy really that anymore, no no yeah but it's funny because the bungee jumping in Shetland they take you up in the crane and then they drop you and then they dunk you in the ocean and then they stick you on the pier. And I'm thinking, I know how dirty that harbor is. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. That doesn't no. sound fun. No. Because <laughs> I like I see everyone that's done it. They they're like they say for like three days that they've gone through like four bottles of shampoo. <laughs> well, my top tip so. for that is to drink some Coca-Cola after if you've been in any dirty water, drink some Coca-Cola to clean your stomach out. Yeah, that's what I said. Because they were all complaining about like it's the smell sticking to their hair. Oh, right. And that's why they were going through so much shampoo is because they're trying to get rid of that, that seaweed smell. That you, you can, Once you get it in your hair, you can't get it out. You just have to gotta roll with it and just say, oh, I've been in the ocean. You know, just <laughs> seem like a tough guy. That's what I always say. And then I saw your other book. And that was curious to me because I have never had the opportunity to sit down and speak to someone who does YA and children's. So I wanted to ask a little bit. Sorry? They're technically the same, actually. They're, it's, oh, um, okay. They're both classed as teen, although you're not the first person to confuse Fig Swims the World oh. with the, as a middle grade and Coming Up Fair is YA. Actually, they're both classed as teen. But I think See, that is that's a, something cover. to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I because I don't know why I instantly thought YA when I looked at the cover. Mm. That's strange. I think yeah. it's down to the book cover, and I, I and as I say, I've been in other bookshops where Fig Swims the World is put in the middle grade section, and Coming yeah. Up Rare is put in the teen uh, the YA teen YA section, and they're both the same aged character. If anything, in Fig Swims the World, she's slightly older. So. Um, 
Yeah. But the whole yeah, point is surprised. that it bridges the gap between middle grade and YA. Oh, right. I see. Okay. That makes a little bit more sense. Because I, I was totally having a blonde, or at least I thought I was having mm-hmm. one of those moments that, you know, readers have. Because I looked at your site and I fell in love with, A, I love your design of your website. Oh, much you. cleaner than mine. <laughs> I am terrible at websites, I can tell you. Um, so I fell in love with it. And then I love the fact that you've done photography and you've done a math book yeah that blew my mind I'm like okay this woman's amazing I cannot (laughs) do math to save myself um so yeah it's just I there wasn't anything like I always research everyone I talk to and I get on with and stuff and some of them I have to like really sit and think okay what what am I going to talk about what what do I want to know about but with you there was like Okay, how am I going to limit myself <laughs> to what I'm going to ask? But I, I do want to ask about your maths book because that is because I, I um, during the pandemic, I actually was a learning support assistant um, in Shetland. And then when I came down to the mainland, I was a learning support assistant on the mainland. So I'd love to kind of learn a little bit more about the mathematics book and things like that. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm just sort of curious. I wonder if it will help a lot of my uh, my colleagues who've got teenagers who are coming into the high school and they don't like math at all as any kid doesn't seem to like math on a Monday morning and I'm just thinking this might be a great book for them to really kind of help them get over the hump of of what they're dealing with um well first of all I did a math degree which is why I do do the maths um the book is out next january it's actually for nine to eleven year olds so it kind of falls into middle grade and it's about that would be perfect for them everyday maths so it's it is kind of aimed at everyone i mean Mm -hmm. parents adults everyone it's it's almost like a badge of honor that people say oh i don't like maths or i'm terrible at maths or i was terrible at school and um i love maths i just it speaks to me. I, I get numbers, you know, it's just, yeah. there's an answer. You know, you mm-hmm. look at an equation and there is an answer. There's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And I like the kind of black and white quality of that scenario. And I know where I am with it. And I I don't know why. I just, I, My children don't particularly like maths and I've tried to infuse <laughs> with them and I help them with their maths. Yeah. And they will say that, you know, I do explain things to them in a better way, perhaps, than their teachers do sometimes. Um, I got that as well, because I do it old school style. I don't do it the way they do it now. And I actually got pulled aside for that quite a few times. And I'm like, well, if the kid's not getting it your way, why not try it a different way and see if that works better for them? Well, this um, is the crazy thing. There is there, there are more ways than one. And actually, when you look at the methods, you're doing the same thing. You're just calling it something different or you're using yeah, different exactly. terminology. And I I guess it's a time thing that they – I just think everyone learns differently. And I think that, that very we true. should be teaching maths in multiple ways. And if if a way, one way doesn't work for someone, then move on to another one. Um, and oh, I, I, I just don't think really there's good. enough – unfortunately, I don't think there's enough time to do that. There's too much. I think yeah, they've moved the curriculum on so that – Kids are learning. Kids are learning like um, simultaneous equations in year four, which is something that I didn't learn until I got to secondary school, year seven. So, 
I think there's some concepts there that they're introducing too early or they're yeah. not necessarily the, I, I don't think the teachers necessarily know how to teach it because they don't quite get it themselves I would um, totally agree with that because for me particularly I I'm dyslexic and in Shetland at the time I was growing up dyslexia was something that they were kind of aware of but didn't mm-hmm. want anything to do with so we were all like stuck in a separate classroom whenever maths was going to happen taken out of class put in a separate room with a with one teacher who was you know always like a senior teacher of all teachers and she was supposed to explain math to us and I swear it made it worse because she didn't have multiple ways of teaching us she yeah. had one way and if we didn't get it she would bawl and yell and you know accuse us of being lazy and everything else and when I came back as a learning support teacher, I thought, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm not I'm not going to go in this direction. So I would sit and I would just slowly encourage them by, you know, saying, okay, well, let's try the teacher's way. And then if we don't get it that way, we'll try it this way. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the kids don't write out their maths anymore. Like, you remember how you used to write out the sums and you would have, like, you would actually write out plus yeah. whatever. And then you'd have a line underneath and you would work it out the old fashioned way. They don't do that anymore. Don't they? No, not in Scotland. They don't. Because I'm always saying to my children, show you're working out. There's the absolute only only way to do maths. Because if you get something wrong, you can go back and see where you've made a mistake. If they're not being encouraged to do that, then that's... that's Yeah, and that's what surprised me. Yeah. And of course, the, the teacher pulled me aside and said, why are you getting them to write it out? That's just wasting time. And I said, no. I said, they're not getting it. So I'm doing it this way so that these other kids have an opportunity to learn. And one girl said, I love maths, but I don't understand the way she teaches it to me because my dad teaches me a different way. Yeah. And she goes, but he teaches me your way. And yeah. I was like, oh, thank goodness for that. Like, <laughs> I was starting to feel like I was crazy. And I'm thinking, I've got foundation maths. And I'm doing primary school work. And I'm thinking, am I even going to be intelligent enough to do this? But I found that, see, because they give us the answer sheets, the learning support teachers, we walk around with the answer sheets. And then we've got to get them from the question to the answer, but without telling them. Yes. And because I had the answer, I could actually do it because I could work it out and explain it to them. And I never realized then how bad, like, I, it gave me an idea. I'm I'm number blind with math. It's uh, part of my dyslexia, and it really helped me understand it more because I was able to go, oh, okay, I can see why I maybe don't see this number or that number or whatever. And I was able to point out kids that, with this sort of taking the time to write out their sums and write out what they're doing, were able to improve their grades almost by double. Yeah compared to the ones that were just writing down the answers well absolutely I mean I mean I kind of believe in um giving you the answer so mm-hmm. if, if, if you go right this is the question this is the answer let's see yeah. how we get there not all the time yeah. obviously but in terms of yeah. learning how and what's happened what's what you've got to do you can actually get it because you you can you it's a bit scary, isn't it? When you don't know the answer to something, we all want to know what the answer is. So if we've got yes. the answer, 
we have that security that actually we're not being judged on how we get to that answer. We're being, we want to learn how we've got to get there. So I actually think giving the answer is the answer. And I don't know whether yeah. it's taught that way. I, I, I'm guessing it's not. It's not in Scotland. It's really no. not in Scotland. I mean, yeah, okay, the learners support teachers have the answers or the teachers have the answers, but we're told never to give the answer to the children and show yeah. them how to get there. And to me, I felt like that was such a dis- disservice to some of them. But even just being able to help a handful of those kids improve made the, made the world to me because I wished I had that kind of one-on-one support there where it wasn't like a scribe just telling me, right, this is how you do it, but actually giving me the opportunity to learn it properly. Yeah. Because my dad, even though my dad is, is uh, he's a whiz with numbers, but even he would get very frustrated teaching me math because I couldn't see some of the numbers. Right. And I, th- I think we're progressing as a society that we're able to help people that are have got these learning difficulties and we are making it better for them. But I still think there's a lot of learning to go to get yeah. like kids to the to that level where everyone's equal. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, I like books like yours that come out and just make it very much about everyday life because most of the kids I've worked with always say to me, well, I'm never going to use math. Oh. Like, <laughs> how many times do parents hear that? Like, uh, not just parents, teachers, everybody. I mean, I'm an aunt, I'm an aunt and I hear it all the time from my cousins. And I, I just, I, I am so going to buy a copy and hand it to my niece being like, this is why you do it. <laughs> well, no, absolutely. You know. That's exactly what it is. It's basically yeah. the basics of maths and how we use it in our every single day life. So, um, you know, it's... I it's can swear my hobby is going to give it to me and be like, yeah, learn, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I was, I was just, oh, I, was, I, was, I was so awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's nice because it's nice to meet someone that's like, okay, you're not essentially awful. You're just not getting it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's... It makes me at least feel better. And I know that there was a lot of kids in my foundation class that when we start our our sort of standard grades or our O-levels, we all felt really bad that we were coming in at a foundation level. And I mean, I think it wasn't too bad for me because I could look back and say, well, I've had half an education Mm. because I was in a night hospital all the time and I was working off of work, you know, workbooks with very little support in the hospital because um, we had a teacher that would come in Monday to Friday, but she only came in for a few hours. And you're trying to do schoolwork in a hospital bed with all these other hospital kids around you and you're sick as a dog. Yeah, It's really difficult and people don't realize that. Um, so I didn't feel too bad about being in foundation, but I noticed like my other classmates were almost like ashamed of it. Mm. And it was almost like a stigma the teachers put on the kids because they were like, oh, well, you're foundation. Yeah, foundation classes as well, and they've made a point in pointing out the kids that were foundation. Mm. So it almost became like a competition to climb this ladder of excellency. Um, and that, yeah, I did. I felt for the ones that struggled and maybe weren't getting extra time at home with you know for help with their parents or whatever. Um, yeah, I just I thought it was wrong. I really did, mm. and I'm glad to see that in at least in certain parts of Scotland that is gone yeah but it you know I, th- I think we've made a mistake in and not writing out the sums and I think that should be kept in the yeah, curriculum moving forward mm. 
Now I just sound like I've got on a soapbox and had a rant. <laughs> not intended. <laughs> I promise this. Not all shows are like this. <laughs> so l- let's move into like a safer area. <laughs> uh, let's talk about books. What is the book you've read most recently that stuck with you the most? And it can be absolutely anything. Okay, I've read loads. I read loads of books. I've got loads of author friends so I'm constantly going to their book launches and buying their books um the most recent one I've read is a book called Day of the Whale by Rachel Delahaye it's um kind of middle grade teen kind of book um it it kind of doesn't quite fit into the full-on categories in that way and it's um a dystopian novel set in the future with Australia having experienced three floods um and so it's wow. become an island and they're all kind of, it's it's a mystery novel. It's about three kids who are trying to uncover what's really going on. It's, it's kind of talks about the climate and environmental issues, but there's also a glimmer of hope. So it really stayed with me. It's a really well written book. There's lots of swimming in it, which of course appeals to me. Um, yep. And yeah, it's just really impactful. And I like the idea that, we can imagine, you know, we can imagine the worst that could happen, but also that there will still be a glimmer of hope that we can, that humanity can still yeah, turn things around. So. I love that. Um, have you ever tried Debbie Galori's um, books? No. She's, funny is the best way to describe her stuff, okay? I know that's awful and I know she's probably cringing somewhere um, mm-hmm. over here in Scotland. But, like, her Wicked Dead series is, it's funny. And it's for that middle-aged kid who's get, trying to get into reading. And she's got this family who lives in a castle and they've got Loch Nessie and they've, or Nessie, they've got, like, a crocodile that's a pet. And all this sort of weird stuff happens to the family through the series. And it's, it's genuinely a fun series. Oh, okay. Sort of that middle-aged kind of middle-grade. Yeah audience and she writes a lot of children younger children's books too Mm. like tell me something happy before i go to sleep and i thought oh that's i have loads of her books in the house because this year i'm going to try and become a mom so i'm like determined kids are going to get read to from the second that they're yeah they're born right the way up because that's mom yeah um but yeah, like I just think she's a she's a wonderful writer that not a lot of people know about, and I just like putting it out there. She did a really good um, book about anxiety. Oh wow! And we dealing know. with anxiety as a middle aged sort of read. Yeah. And it's she uses dragons oh. to explain it, and she explains like how you might deal with depression or if you get anxious about things and. I thought that's such a great book because I wish I had a book like that when I was a kid because I was one of these really anxious kids. And I thought, wow, like, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was such a great find. And I I know she gets tired of me plugging her, but I just think she's incredible. She really does some really good work. Um, Yeah, I just, I I can't recommend her enough. I think she's great. Yeah, I'll check her out, definitely. Yeah, I like I like doing that, like sharing kind of like um, authors with other people because yeah. sometimes you wouldn't know, and then you discover yeah. something really cool. So I mean, there's so many authors out there. It's uh, if you it go really into these, I went into 
Waterstones in Piccadilly in London and wow I mean <laughs> I don't. it's a bit tumbling when you go in as an author because you know we're all sitting here trying to type away at the next novel and uh then you see all the books that are out there and mm-hmm. oh but then you know you can get through a lot of books can't you in a year I mean yeah I mean I read about 30 a year and right I, I think I would read more if the dyslexia wasn't such an impact yeah. on me because yeah. like I can only read 20 pages and then I have to start and I have to okay. go away and do something and then come back because otherwise I fall asleep right and I, I we don't know if I don't know if it's eye strain or what it is I'm supposed to be getting some sort of fancy um dyslexia test because I've not had it done since I was a teenager mm. so it, that'll be interesting um mm. I'm sort of learning a little bit more about dyslexia now than what I necessarily knew before mm. and one thing that I discovered is um, see kids that you know you you watch them and they they get really into reading and then all of a sudden they stop those are the kids that you'll find or the ones that take a really long time to read those are the ones that are actually struggling with something like dyslexia right because yeah. or because their brains almost go okay I'm bored mm. or I'm tired I don't want to you know I don't want to do this anymore their brains always kind of moving on to the next thing um, and not only that, the words start moving. Oh wow! So there's nothing worse than trying to like catch the catch the words running across the page. Yeah. And I used to think I was falling asleep when that would happen. And then there was one day I turned to my scribe and I said, "Annie, those words are running across the page, right?" And she sort of looked at me and she went, "No, Crystal." And I went, <laughs> "Oh." She says, I think you need to go for a pee or a walk or something. Yeah. So I made an excuse, went to the bathroom, had threw water on my face, came back. And that's all I needed was just that little five minute break to just let my brain settle back down so I could focus. But to think like she had no training in dyslexia and to think that she could clock and work out how to do all that. Yeah. I thought was exceptional. So yeah. you never know. Like I always say people surprise you yeah some really great things the thing I get when I'm reading now is a bad habit I developed when when my children were young and I you know how they just want to be read the same old story every single night and I developed a habit of being able to think about something else at the same time as reading out loud and so when I'm reading now I find my brain starting to run off and start thinking about other things and then I go I, I know I've read the words but I have absolutely no idea what those words actually amount yep. to. So I have to keep going back and reading the same paragraph again. So it, it's a kind of a habit that was kind of handy at the time when my children were young and now I'm like, oh, I, I don't want to be. I want it's to very be. hard to get out of it, isn't it? It is, yeah, it really is. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm terrible because sometimes I'll be reading a book and I'll think, ah, that's the solution to my problem, <laughs> <laughs> to my, my book, my book problem. And, and I'm not taking in anything I've read. I could yeah. have read three or four pages and I know I read the words. Yeah. But my brain was working on the problem for the novel. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm going to have to go back and read that. <laughs> all over, and I get so frustrated and then hubby will be like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I just figured out a problem in my book. And he's like, oh, good. You don't need to talk to me about it then. <laughs> he hates it. He hates being my sounding board. Because um, I do have a tendency. I'll get an idea at like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and he's been driving buses all night, and he'll be like, "Go to sleep." 
<laughs> which is the nicest thing he says. We go to sleep. Because um, I'll be like, Ian, what if I did this? And he'll be like, Crystal, I have driven buses all day. I've listened to idiots all day. I just want to sleep. Go to sleep. Because <laughs> he can't sleep if I'm up and I'm moving about. So uh-huh. I have to almost lie there. And just wait till the alarm clock goes off so I can go write down whatever it is that's in my head. (laughs) So, yeah, the joys of writing and having a husband, I think, is um, interesting. I'm a little bit scared about adding a small person into this equation. (laughs) (laughs) If you had time to just sit and relax and, you know, enjoy reading as just as reading, who would you sit and read and why would you pick them? Like, would it be a series? Would it just be an author? Who would it be and why? Is essentially the question. Um, ooh. It's well, a tricky I'm, one. It is a tricky one. I mean, I am i don't tend to read series, um, although I was reminded, I was in a bookshop the other day and I saw the, the Fortunes of War trilogy or the Balkan trilogy. Okay. I don't know whether yeah. that was made into a TV series with Emma Tom, uh, Emma. To Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. Yeah. So that I, and uh, other series like Dance to the Music of Time. So they're the kind of I like those series, but I haven't found one that I've kind of wanted to get into. So I tend to stick to authors, and I a massive fan of American novelists like Anne Tyler, um, Fanny Flagg. I don't know whether uh, she wrote. Fried green tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. Um, I've heard of the title. I, yeah. I just couldn't remember who. Like that's my problem. I remember a title, but yeah. not the author. So that's probably going back to the nineteen nineties. But I love that kind of uh, female novel um, about yeah. some uh, some girls growing up in small town America. And then growing into, you I know, do love that as well. I must have. I just yeah. love that kind of novel. Um, and I haven't found many recently. I've, I've, I do still read Anne Tyler regularly, but I think as she's getting a bit older, some of her her stories I don't feel are quite so I don't know applicable or enjoyable to me as they used to be. Yeah. Um, so I'm always open to more suggestions in that regard. I would recommend um, Rachel Keane because right. she did two incredible small town stories she did a one that um it was like a quadette is that how you pronounce it um where it's like four books essentially and it was about the weather so it was called Stormfront. was the first one and it's about these storm chasers from this small town in america and they chase weather so that i thought that was really fun um and i kind of met her she did Morgan Vampires. So she oh. actually creates her own rural town with this university. And all these kids come to this university and there's physics. And she uses physics a lot in her books. And I know it's a quite a long series, but it was fun. Every mm. book you laughed at least once. You know, you can't you can't take a vampire seriously when he's running around in vampire crazy slippers and <laughs> you know, like he stole grandma's curtains to make a shirt and you know trousers that don't quite fit right. And her description really does bring those images out mm-hmm. incredibly well, and it makes it 
genuinely a lot of fun. So I always recommend her. Sadly, she's actually, um, she's just passed on last year. But she, honestly, she really does come out with some amazing pieces. Mm. Um, or at least she did. Um, but you should get them to a try because I think they're quite good and they sort of have that kind of, they grab you almost. Yeah. And then you don't really want to let go. So that's kind of what, what I enjoyed about them anyway. Um, mm. And they're they're YA, so you know oh, they're, okay. they're good. They're they're I well I think they're good. Um, and if you like um, sort of like homegrown stories, I'm just thinking. You heard of Catherine Cookson? Yeah. You have? I haven't read it. Wow. Do you know so many guests come on here and they don't know her? Really? She yeah, wrote, she wrote hundreds of books, didn't she? Yeah, she did, but so many people don't know her. Oh, really? It's, it's incredible. She's probably quite dated now, though, isn't she? I think I think a lot of her stuff came out in like early nineties, eighties, nineties. Yeah, I was um, reading things like Sydney Sheldon in those days and Mary Wesley. Yeah, do you remember all of those? There's loads. Oh yes, I do. She but kind of funnily enough. I picked her over everything. Like, you know, I, I started off with Marianne Curley. She did a a fantastic series. Um, I'm actually reading her newest series, which is the Time Guardian series, which I'm plugging. But I she also did um, Old Magic. Now, that's a really good middle grade YA. Mm. And she's Australian. Right. And... It's time travel, and you've got magic, and you've got all these different elements that just makes it really good. And there's girls sort of coming of age, and there's young boys coming of age. And it's awkward. They have their awkward sort of phase in there, too, and it's just really enjoyable. And the other one was Celia Reese, which is actually a famous English um, children's writer. Oh, right. So she did, like, YA thrillers for kids. Okay. And she said the whole point of it was she wanted to get them excited, but give them a little bit of like a twist, yeah, a gloss. And she wrote Witch Child, which is one of a trilogy, and it's about a girl who's accused of being a witch, and she ends up hiding her journal, her pages of her journal, in blankets in a quilt she's making, and then it it turns out that somebody's found this quilt and opened it up and found the pages inside. And I just think that's so fascinating. It's such a, a really awesome one. And it, okay, it is historical drama, but it's a small girl in England whose whole life gets turned upside down and she's got to almost run for her life. Yeah. And it's it's such a great story to see her grow up as these, these pages progress. Plus, I was terrified the whole way through. I'm like, she's got she's to gotta make it out. She's got to make it out. <laughs> and like... She was so good at keeping that kind of tension going. Yeah. You just couldn't put it down. And yeah. however, I must admit, as a kid, I used to wrap up um, old magic in the witch child oh, in a wow. pillowcase. Yeah. And then stick a ribbon around it. Because <laughs> I was always convinced the characters were going to come out of the book at night and scare oh, me. Oh, wow. So my mom's like, What are you doing? And I'm like, Nothing. <laughs> and she, so she opened up the pillowcase and she looked inside and she's like, Why is there two books in here? And I'm like, <laughs> They need to be hidden. Trust me. Oh, my that, mom's power, just, that's the power, power of writing, though, isn't it? That's amazing. That yeah. That kind of connection with you. And it's very funny because a lot of people, um, they also don't know Celia Reese. And, you know, she's an icon of 
children's writing from mm. Britain. So I always kind of like try, I've had her on the show. She's honestly one of the most amazing women. Um, so I bring her, I brought her on and we had a, such a great, great time talking. I think we were, we ended up going two hours and, oh, wow. and a half <laughs> because we shared a lot of similarities. But yeah, I mean, those are really good ones to try if you're yeah. looking for that sort of YA mm. middle grade area to, mm. to sort of jump into. Um, and obviously, you know, Catherine is, Catherine Cookson's a very realistic writer. Mm. Um, so she is very much the modern day blue collar worker yeah. type stories. So you, you kind of expect the struggles of a, a small town, but with a blue collar edge to it. Yeah. And, you know, everyone really kind of connects with her because it's very realistic things that she brings mm. up. Like I admire her because she brought up racism in the 80s. Yeah, you know, this was years before Black Lives Matter and all this movements. She also brought up women's rights movements before women's rights movement was a thing, and it's just amazing. Just everything that she came out with was to point out politically, but in a really kind of down to earth way that you don't. I always call it accidental learning with her because you're yeah. reading a really good story, but you're accidentally learning about things, and it's great. I I just think. Her talent is so good, and I really hope she doesn't disappear. I really, you know, I don't care if I have to wear the banner to try and keep her name out there, but I just think if you find these really good authors and, you know, they're not here anymore, we should all kind of pick up that kind of banner and keep them alive. Yeah, definitely. You know, because good work shapes all of us, I think. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, 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 I could sit and talk about different book references all day. <laughs> sad, sad, but true. So what author um, do you wish that, you know, you, well, if you were to sort of like sit and really think about it, who would you say inspired you to read and then past or present? And who would you say is inspiring and influencing you to write? Okay. Um, I was a massive reader when I was a kid. Um, and I was, I loved Judy Bloom. Which oh, kind of goes back okay. to the whole kind of small town America kids thing. Yeah. I like. I I think I've always liked slice of life, kind mm -hmm. of real stuff than anything else. Although I definitely read things like The Worst Witch. Um, oh, those were good. Yeah, but then and also you know Mallory Towers and oh, some of the others. Oh, uh, the Chalet School books, which were. Yep. Oh, I just I was obsessed with those. I remember going to the bookshop. And I just didn't care which one I bought. I mean, if I could find one that was um, in the you know the right order, great. But yes. if I couldn't, I didn't mind. And and actually, I bought a few of those for my daughter, and I did read them, and they're incredibly dated and completely but out fun of still. But they're still so fun. They're just there's such the main characters in them. They're just really strong girl characters, and at the time, that's what really inspired me when I was reading. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd say when I started writing, I probably wanted to be like Judy Bloom because mm -hmm. I just love her style. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know that I can say whether there's – I just read all the time now because yeah. I find that whatever I read, um, I'll be reading a paragraph and go, oh, I like that 
use of that word or the way they've yeah. phrased something and I will try that in my writing so I'm I would say that there's a particular author that inspires me now um it's more that I just take it all when I wrote my first book I stopped reading completely because I just found that I, I didn't want to do it I wanted to concentrate on the words that were in my head yeah, um, yeah, but now I've gone past that stage and I can I'm comfortable having you know reading someone else's and having my own ideas in my head um and I just think that's the best way to the the best way to write is by reading really. yeah I mean I, I always say this like I make a point of reading 20 pages a day every day yeah because it's got to be a discipline where you're reading to improve your your own craft but you're also writing to mm. improve your craft it's it, it has to go hand in hand as far as I'm concerned. At least that's the way I've been taught and I've had the luxury of, of learning from different people. And I find that really helped me on my journey. It's so funny you mentioned a couple of those books. Did you try the Heartland series when you were young? No. It's um, this girl who actually works with horses. Right. And these horses are all kind of dealing with trauma and she... She learns from the horse as much as the horse learns from her. And she's such a strong, strong female character. Now, I have totally forgotten the author. I really wish that wouldn't happen to me. <laughs> but that series, I, I just, I used to go into the bookshop, kind of like you did, and I would try and find the next one in the order. And if I couldn't, I would just sit and read that one. Mm. And because my mom was a bit strict on like books. And I must admit, I was so glad this past year I got them all. Oh, wow. I got the whole lot and I'm keeping them for my, I hope I have a girl, <laughs> keeping them for my daughter so that I can sit and I can read them and say, you know, horses are spiritually very much like us and, and show her my love for horses, but without having to drag her to the stables and get mm. her to ride for her to understand that. Um, but no, th that one, that one is actually worth it. You might actually... They're not dated either, which I think is incredible, considering they came out, gosh, years and years and years ago. But they've also been made into a TV series called oh, okay. Heartland. Um, I don't know if you've got Netflix, but it's, yeah. it's on there. And oh, okay. they're like 15 seasons in or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's been around for a long time. For, for only, like, I think she only did 27, 28 books. Only. <laughs> um, yeah, only. But, I mean, they're not very big books. And right. then you think 15 seasons. Yeah. Of all that is incredible. You could yeah. just imagine the writer having to plot out an entire season wow. with, like, a 20, you know, less than 100-page book. Thinking, yeah, that's a lot. go do this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she totally blew my mind with her books. And it felt, because I had ridden horses all my life, but it felt like being there working with that animal like it, it was so realistic I love that I love those kinds of books uh, where you really get to feel like you're part of it so what author do you wish if you had a chance mm. and they can be living or dead mm. that you could sit and speak with who would it be and why um hands down it would be Dorothy Parker who okay I'm, I'm curious to hear the why for this one because she's just she's just so funny and witty and scathing and it would just be wonderful to hear it from her really um 
I, I think I, I my own sense of humor is very sarcastic and scathing. Same. And so I kind of like and she's very, very intelligent. So you could imagine the conversations you could have with someone like her in this day yeah. and age with everything that's going on across across the world. I would love to hear what she has to say about some of the people. Not to get political, yeah. but, you know, I think she'd be fantastic. She had such a witty comment about absolutely everything. She was also very ahead of her time in terms of feminism and and all of that. So I think it would be fascinating to hear what she has to say. Yeah, I, I, I actually agree with that. Have you tried Alison Smith's books? No. Ali Smith. Right. She's... um. She's such a witty Scottish author. She did a book called Hotel World, set with this hotel, and it had all every chapter had a different character. Oh wow! But it all tied back to this hotel. You talk about sarcasm and wit, and she slips in her political her thoughts on politics in it. Wow! But you don't notice it by the by just how creatively she does it. Oh wow! I think okay. that's incredible. Yeah, and I didn't know about her either until I did my second year BA honors course, and then I discovered it, and I was like, "Oh, oh wow! This is like she's Scottish, like you know." And then I was like, "Oh, okay," and she's actually from a small town in Scotland called Thurso, and it's it's very interesting to read a different kind of book because I mean, her opening line to Hotel World was "Woohoo." <laughs> Oh, like, wow. you know, it's like, okay, like, where's this going? <laughs> you know, that's the that's the first word and only word on the page. Gosh. Okay. So it does make you want to turn it. Yeah. I will give her that. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, no, she's she, she kind of stood out, uh, you know, just when you were saying about those different ideas. Mm. She kind of stood out to me. And I was like, oh, she'll really like, like Ali Smith. So, yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. Uh, if you could go back in time. Where would you go and why? Oof. Where would I go back in time? Um, it's a, it's one of those difficult questions, I think. Isn't it? Because um, honestly, I think as, as awful as times are at the moment, I think I would struggle to go back anywhere because of the different attitudes towards women, racism, you know, all of that. Um, I just don't know that I would want to go back and ex- it's, it's easy to look back on history and a certain time in, with rose tinted glasses. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure that I would want to go back to any other time, which is bizarre because everyone always wants to time travel and I don't know, see dinosaurs or whatever. But um, I would be scared it got eaten. Well, yeah, there's there's always a downside, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, it, it'd be kind of interesting to go back to a Georgian time and see the fashions and, and that. But then there'd be such a negative side in terms of the smell and how people were treated. And so I don't think, I'm sorry to say, I don't think no, no, I no, it's, want it's to go answer. back anywhere um, at all. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of the Victorian style of dress yeah. and all the houses and the way they were built and stuff. That I would love to. But then I think of, like, all the crazy medical stuff they were doing back then and I think about all the poor hygiene and everything else. I'm like, oh, nope, thing, you're yes, that's <laughs> quite happy thing. here. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's just, we, we you know, I, I guess we take everything for granted, don't we, that we have today and all the technology and, and all the creature comforts. Um, here's, a, here's a more interesting question. If yeah. you could go back as a writer and document a certain time, Ooh. would you? And where would you go? Uh, I love, I'm a big fan of, the Bloomsbury group of writers, so Virginia Woolf um, and her, Vanessa Bell, her sister, and Duncan Grant. And so I would like to be a fly on the wall in Charleston, which I I got to visit a couple of years ago just before the lockdown. Um, And I would like to kind of, yeah, live among the Bohemians, I think, would be the best. That would actually be a lot of fun, I think, yeah. Yeah. I must admit, I couldn't, I had put that question in for so many different authors but to be honest I probably couldn't answer it myself because <laughs> there's too many times that I'd actually want to go back and be that kind of fly on the wall writer mm. you know to document it um, just just for fun I think more than anything has there ever been a book that you've picked up and you thought why have I picked this up like <laughs> what am I doing here and had to put it down um oh yeah i mean there's there's numerous books that i've i've never finished um the book that i persevered with but almost wished i hadn't was um is it the goldfinch uh donna tart's goldfinch i think it's called oh yeah yeah Um, it was i thought the opening was just brilliant it was absolutely fantastic but it's and then it became a I think I read it a couple of years ago over lockdown, so I had plenty of time to to be reading. It's a very long book, and it also just doesn't live up to its kind of opening premise and the kind of first, I don't know, first 25%. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely loved it. And then it just went off on some very weird tangents, and I was kind of reading going, I really don't care what's going on. But I, I kind of finished, I wanted to finish it, and I did finish it, but I didn't have... I didn't really have a satisfied, oh, I really, I'm glad I read that yeah. type thing. But I've oh, just, no, I, I would still say that the opening was just so fantastic. And what happened, you know, the inciting incident of what happens is just brilliant. It was just a, a massive disappointment. And I know loads of people love it. So it's probably one of those Marmite books, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I think I think some people can, can kind of get by some of it, the timings, mm. as you were saying. And I think some some people kind of get stuck in that. And I think a lot of writers that were being very close with their attention to detail and, and things like that, we can get we can see those tangents, and they were almost like, "Girl, get back on you know, yeah. get, get back on topic." And being somebody that used to write tangents, I know that one really well. <laughs> um, and yeah, I used to have a friend who would be like, "Crystal, tangent, come back." You know, it's like so she was really good at writing me in. So we're moving into the writing um, portion of the podcast, which I know a lot of newbie writers uh, tend to to listen in because they're all looking for tips and tricks on uh, how we how we put our novels together, things like that. So how do you go about creating those moments of I always call it like threats, you know, like they're not going to quite achieve what they're looking for or they're not going to achieve their goals, or there's like somebody trying, you know, some obstacle or somebody getting in the way. How do you mentally go about getting into that sort of place? 
Um, it's funny. I, I was doing a workshop on Friday and I was being asked this sort of thing. And it's, but I, I don't, I'm not a planner or I'm not a plotter. I'm a more of a pantser. And so I tend to come up with a premise of an idea, usually, usually a character. And I start them off in a certain scenario and then I just write, I write, I get lots of dialogue and I write. And so I find it very hard to sort of explain how I come up with things because in a way I'm not thinking that through. I tend to, the way I tend to write is I write in three parts. I, Mm -hmm. my first part tends to be about 25,000 words. And at the end of that part is when the character is it kind of, it's not that the lowest ebb necessarily, but they're at a really cliffhanger moment where they just feel awful. And it becomes the point where maybe 10,000 words later, when we're in the middle of the book, there is a turning point where they realise they actually need to do something about their situation in order to get what they want or need by the end of the book. Yeah. And the second part is then another cliffhanger where it it's again feels like everything's falling apart which then leads into your climax and and the rest of it in part three um so that's how I tend to so I have a 25,000 word part one a 30,000 word part two and a 10,000 word part three and that's rough um and yeah. whenever I'm writing I always refer back to what I've written before and I kind of go yeah. back and have a look at the numbers and see where it is and so when I'm when I get stuck, what I tend to do is I'll write in giant capital letters, this is my midpoint, this is my climax. And so that when I can zo- I zoom out so I can see, you know, tons and tons of pages at once, I can see yeah. the shape of the novel when I'm, when I'm zoomed oh, okay. out. And yeah. that enables me to fill in. And the other thing I do is I, tend, I write out sequence. So I don't, I don't write from start to finish. I will just write the scenes that I want to write. Or I'll quite often write two scenes and realise that they're so similar, actually, they should be the same scene. And mm-hmm. then you get this situation where you're kind of trying to decide which part it goes in. So um, yeah. that that tends to be how I, how I write more than really thinking about what those dark moments are. I just think those just, you know, oh, I could do this with that person. All this could happen, you know. It's kind of it's, – it, and actually quite often – if, because I write out of sequence, I will write something and a character will say something and it will f- inform me what has come before. So they'll say, oh, you did this, didn't you? And then I go, oh, that's what I need to write in the scene, I don't know, three days ago or whatever. So um, it's the writing that kind of informs what's going to happen, really. I let it kind of take me somewhere. And I always get stuck. I always get to the point where I go, I don't really know what this character's arc is and I have to... yeah. I tend to write a synopsis, which points out where I'm going wrong. But that tends to be how I write more than uh, really planning it out and planning out those awful dark moments for the poor characters to go through. You're probably the first one that's explained that in perfect detail, to which anyone, you know, you don't have to be a writer to understand that. Right. Um, And I think that's really good because... I know that there's so many people that struggle with that particular thing. And to hear somebody being able to give a different point of view on it is going to help so many new writers out there. Oh, good. Because I know a lot of them get stuck and they get, you know, they get frustrated and then they just give up. And I think you're offering them almost like a different option. And I think that's really 
really incredible and fun. Oh, good. I have to ask, mm. what inspired you to pick sort of middle age, middle grade to YA novels? Um, right. Do you know what? It's just the voice that came out of me. I think it's oh, okay. the time, in a way, I'm writing the books that I l- would have liked to have read when I was 10, 11, 12, 13. When I was that age, there was no... Yeah there wasn't a YA section at all. So no, I remember going into the bookshop and my mum just let me buy anything. I didn't want to read the children's books by then because I was I was a capable reader. And so I picked up um, uh, Barbara, I think it was Barbara Taylor Bradford's Garden of Eden. And all right. it's incredibly grown up for an 11 going on 12. Yeah, there's a lot. And so that's, but I just remember pulling books off my parents' bookshelf. I read Poldark. I don't remember anything about it, but I read <laughs> the entire series because I just wanted to read. I, just, I needed material to read. And yeah. so in a way, I'm kind of writing for the me when I yeah. was that age. And you don't always want to read about, like YA these days, there's a lot of sex in it or can be. Um, there's a lot of yeah. violence and so on. And I think that can be a bit scary for someone who's just starting in their teens. Um, yeah, it is a little about bit, yeah. teens is that it, it's sort of I, I call it clean teen. So you mm-hmm. can feel you can feel confident that what you're reading is trying to introduce you into the life of being a teenager and growing up. But you don't need to worry yeah. that there's things in there that you're not going to be comfortable reading. I, I think that's really good that you said that because for me, like I've noticed over the years why a almost like since the outbreak of twilight which was considered ya then you know we've seen this just huge influx of ya material but they it's almost like some of the authors don't understand what ya is for and you get a lot of these more grown up i always call it grown up storylines where they're not maybe necessarily you know staying within the rules of that genre and I, I oh, it kind of just drives me mad and it makes me want, I honestly want to shout at people and say, no, it's not YA, it's adult. Um, because, yeah, it is scary, you're right, for a young girl, a young guy to kind of be reading about this violence or that we know what's happening mm. um, in the world. I think Pretty Little Liars was one that I kind of um, got stuck on because I, I originally seen the TV series and then I read the series. And the series is very YA, but the, the show isn't. Right. So it was very conflicting because as the, the, as the show went on, I felt like the books grew with yeah. the show. And it kind of made it not YA to me in the end. And I think it was like, yes, there is a place for crime in YA. And I think you can't hide certain things from kids. But at the same point, I think we need to be careful of the ideas that we're giving to kids mm. because this is the idea phase of their development. This is when, you know, they're actually coming up with schemes and plans and tricks to play on us as adults. And maybe we don't want them thinking <laughs> about murder and all this other stuff. It's mm, maybe not where we want them to be going. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I kind of always think maybe there should be like a another separate kind of new well there is new adult now but I think a lot of those kind of books should be in like a new adult section and have it just be 
not you know clean crime novels if they want to read crime rather than them coming out of YA and say jumping into a really dark crime novel that might traumatize them beyond belief I, I just think there's there we could do more with genres and I think more with labeling and marketing to make it an easier journey through the books for the kids and for the adults yeah, yeah I mean we, we you know if you think children's NYA, there's no, there are no genres in it, are there? Whereas in no. adult books, there's fantasy and crime and blah 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 blah. There's the same yeah, it goes on and on and on. Yeah, uh, and, and that's fine. I kind of like that that it's not kind of shoved into genres. But I mean, I was reading somewhere that um, there was a TV show that got cancelled, and it was, it was the Babysitters. Is it called the Babysitters Club? Yeah. Um, and how basically. The TV industry is not interested in making shows for teenagers of that age. So they're not interested in teen. And you kind of got to, in a way, publishing is the same in that teen mm-hmm. is is only just becoming a genre or a, a yeah. section. And you've got things like Heartstopper on Netflix, which is doing an incredible job. And that is exactly teen. And yeah. why aren't we? Because, you know, you... you the rules of writing children's is you tend to write for middle grade, your your character tends to be about 11 or 12. So they're a couple yep. of years older than your, your the people who are reading it. And then in YA, likewise, they've got to be a couple of years older. So we're, we're effectively not writing about 13, 14 year olds or f- maybe 15. We're writing about yeah. the whole, and there's a massive time for children where actually they don't need to be reading up they don't need to aspire to be someone a couple of years older than they actually want to read about people who are going through the same things as them or who are going on adventures so that they can escape from being them and we're kind of applying all these rules that you know the characters must be a couple of years older blah 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 actually it doesn't make sense I don't understand and I'm sure there's talking to uh, kids in schools and talk to my own children there is a gap but no one is really trying to fill it and I'm you know I would love I love writing teen and as much as it's a difficult one to get published because there's not enough I think bookshops are beginning to get better at doing teen sections but the buyers haven't caught on and they're not necessarily buying the right books I think what's happened is YA is getting bought by women that are a lot older than teenagers and that's kind of where a lot of these publishers are marketing those for yeah like if you look at Vampire Diaries TV series it's very different to Vampire Diaries the book right and she got fired off that series she got Mm -hmm. fired off her own book series because she Uh killed off Elena in book two right I think it was book two or book one and she was very open that it was for sort of the new adult kind of age group. But because new, you know, a new adult wasn't really a new adult, she got flung into YA and it got very confusing for the readers. And I'm like, there's no way I'm letting my 13 or 14 year old daughter read that. Mm. No, no, 16, 17, maybe, but mm. not 13 or 14. So, like, I have that almost in my head as well. Like, 
I grew up with Catherine Cookson and my mom just thought, oh, that, that that's great for, you know, all ages. No, mom. <laughs> it really wasn't. It's the no, same, it's- whereas my mom never, you know, she never controlled what I read. Um, so, I, you know, because I couldn't always get books out, I would sneak into her room and steal the Mills and Boone books out of her bedroom door and I'd run into the... And I'm only like eight or nine doing this. And I'm thinking to myself, really, mom? <laughs> you know, like maybe be a bit wiser. But the great thing about it, though, was like me and my mom then, when she started to realize that I was just reading anything, she kind of went on this reader journey with me and we we explored Harry Potter came out and we explored Harry Potter together and then we explored Debbie Glory together. And it was almost like she was getting that learning aspect of reading at the same time as I was. Mm. And it kind of bonded us. I and But I still think as an industry, we've got a lot more, I think, steps to put in place so that we're catering from the very young all the way through rather than getting this confusion of different genres and different different brackets and things. Um, and I, I just hope that we get there. I just think it'll take some time. Yeah. So when you're writing, I think you mentioned this earlier that you talk about it being like shards, you know, you're writing in sections. So funnily enough, my question was, when you write, is it like a movie or a jigsaw puzzle? I have a funny feeling you're going to say jigsaw puzzle now. It's both. It's both. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, 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 it. When it when I begin, it's more like a movie, especially if I've got the. Yeah. It actually, with coming up for air, the characters really played out in my head. Um, partly because the char- the main character is kind of she wants to be a documentary filmmaker, so she's yeah. there's a lot of um, comments where she she says looks to camera and then she'll say her she'll so you, it's a way of listening to what her inner thoughts are so with that I had a very clear idea it's like it was like a movie playing in my head Mm -hmm. but what I I tend to get to a stage where I realize I'm stuck and that's when it becomes a jigsaw puzzle because I start looking at the scenes and I just start I go well that needs to move earlier and that needs to move later and I kind of my my draft just looks horrendous because (laughs) You know, I've I've kind of got my part one, part two kind of written in and then I'll be moving all these things around and all these scenes and there'll be little sections of dialogue and little sections. Or or if I don't know what's going to go there, I'll just write in capital letters, something needs to go here or this needs to happen here, you know, whatever the point of the chapter is. And so it's kind of a little bit of both. Um, If it's going well, I'd say it's a a movie. And if it's going badly, it's a jigsaw. It's good to hear both because a lot of people just say, oh, it's a movie. And I'm thinking, mm, because <laughs> especially some of the crime writers, I'm like, ah, it has to be, it has to be kind of like. Well, surely it has to be a jigsaw. Yeah. yeah. But no, a lot of them say it's actually like a movie. Funnily enough. Oh, wow. Um, so which character has stayed with you either the most or the longest that you've been writing? Ooh, um... Is there anyone that sort of hung on and said, Hey, I'm not quite finished telling you my story yet. No, no, I don't think so. I do, I, I do find that once I've moved on to the next thing, I almost forget. I definitely forget the names of characters, and so oh, I do that too. People talk to me about you know the the characters in Fixed Rooms of the World. I'm I sort of have to go. Ah, uh, 
okay who are we talking about here and I just have to mm-hmm. you know have a have a good think so no I feel like I feel like um I've, I've left them behind so I, I I'm quite happy to move on to the next one so no I'm I don't think any of them have clung on clung on See, my, my problem is because I don't like writing endings. If I'm writing a series, then they do hang around. Yes. But I have a terrible habit. If I've written something and I've, when I write the words, the end or the end for now, I totally forget the book completely. Oh. It deletes. It's like my brain says, oh, you've done that story. Yeah. But, you know, that pathway disappears and a new pathway opens up for a new adventure. Um which is really bad because when I'm sitting talking to fans, I almost have to read the book before I go to an event. Yeah. So that I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hate it when people ask me, go, what were you thinking when you wrote this section? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like five <laughs> books on from there. You know, like yeah. you don't know the answer to that. So you have to kind of come up with something off the top of your head that sounds yeah. like yeah. what could have happened while you were writing it. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. I love that question because, like, sometimes there is like characters that you would never know about. Yeah. The writers reveal. Yeah. Um, but I understand like what you're saying. So, is there a character that you could w- that you wish you could write more about? Is there maybe somebody that's been a smaller character in one of your books that you kind of wish that you'd explored a little bit more, or you would like to go back and explore? Um. Not. Not. Um. Not massively. I think someone suggested to me that in um, that there should be a sequel to Coming Up for Air. It's kind of she she classed it, and in the same way as I class it, it's got an Outer Banks feel to it. Um, ah. So it's kind of an Outer Banks meets West Side Story without the without the fighting. There's a there's a yeah. rivalry and a mystery going on, and. Um, she suggested that there could be a sequel and actually there could be a sequel. I could very well see there's four main characters in it and I could see them going off on a different adventure and taking in, you know, I'd quite like to not have to create the whole, you know, the whole background. It'd be nice to go back to these characters. Um, but I haven't done so, so far. I think that's the sort of thing you need to be invited to do by, by your publisher. So, um, uh, you never know. They might come chapping on your, your mind someday and say, hey, it's, it's our turn. Yeah. You know, um, I always saying, say that. Saying that, um, in my in my first book, Fig Swims the World, there's a character called The Boss. All right. Um, and she's she's kind of based on Emily Blunt in um, Devil Wears Prada. So ah, that's, okay. That's who yeah. was my, so she's not so much, she's, she's more of a middle 20-something, 30-something-year-old woman. But she's so sarcastic and scathing and cutting. I would quite like to write a book with more of her in it because she's just so fun to write. Um, ah, so that's maybe something good for your for your readers and for the yeah. listeners to kind of get behind. Yeah, I bet you're going to get lots of messages now saying, oh, "What are you writing that?" <laughs> and you'll be like, "Oh, darn it! Yeah. I've done that to myself a bunch of times." So, what techniques have you found? the most helpful and has there been any techniques that you just wish you had not tried in terms of writing yeah um the technique i've i've just bought save the cat actually because i'm kind of interested i haven't i haven't barely started reading it to be honest but i'm kind of interested in the number game 
where you you know you have to introduce your inciting incident at a certain point and I don't know something like 10% through or something like that so I'm interested to do that so my next book I want to plot completely and see whether or not that completely destroys the creativity because I don't normally write like that um the techniques that I find useful when I've got writer's block and which my husband suggested I do was to write dialogue and because that's for me I write dialogue all the time it's it's almost where I begin completely so write dialogue and nothing else so Mm -hmm. you know write write whatever is being said don't even bother saying anything about who's saying it but just write the back and forth back and forth back and forth and see where that takes me um so and that that is an interesting take actually. Um, I've not actually heard that one before, so that oh, okay. that's kind of cool. I mean, mm. I'm a plotter. I, I did I did start off as a pantser, and then I I kind of used to get myself in a lot of sticky situations and be like, oh, what am I doing here? But when I I thought it the same way as you, I thought if I start plotting, I'll lose I'll lose the draft, I'll lose where I am. But actually, what I found was the notes that I made you know, in chapter breakdowns, in chapter breakdowns is how I went. It almost was like I could recapture that moment of when I was writing it down. It just kind of came back up. It's okay. like I was touching it for the very first time or it was coming to me for the very first time. And it didn't make it easier to read. However, the areas of where I would get stuck with plotting seemed to be where I got stuck with the writing of it. So I, I almost had to kind of add extra notes to kind of help myself through that. But, yeah, it does make a difference. It does help because you're less stuck, I think, with the with the notes because you can almost glance at your notes. Um, some people color co- coordinate them, but I can't because it just does funny things to my eyes. But I can almost glance at it and be like, ah, I know where I'm going. I know how to get over this obstacle. I have a better chance of, of having an easier time writing it. Um, right now, I am actually technically pantsing and plotting at the <laughs> same time which I'm hating because what happened is my husband was putting a notebook away from me and now he can't find it and I oh, can't find no. it and we have no idea where it is and I've got 24 novels in it oh my god and unfortunately one of them's been requested and I'm thinking oh my god because I'm trying to recall it from memory and <gasps> making notes and then I'm trying to write it at the same time yeah and my editor's like are you crazy but I think I'm I'm doing okay because I've done both techniques. So I'm, yeah. I'm sort of surviving a little bit. So like if I go in the car, I might sit and make notes. Um, and of course, I'm doing this with uni as well, which is making it even more interesting. I swear my final paper is going to have like a part of my book in it is an argument or something. And the teacher's going to be like, well, wait, what's this, Crystal? Um, but no, like I've almost had that interesting experience of taking both of them together and trying them. Yeah. So don't be don't be scared to try the plotting because it it really doesn't take that kind of fun out of it. Yeah, but my the problem in the book I've written recently, I had to plot part two, and so I did. Yeah. But my brain decided to write all of it because I know. Oh no. Because I know exactly what I want to write. The yeah. one there's the boredom level of well, I've written it now, and in my head I've written it. And I, I just like, oh, I'm not interested in actually getting it down on the page. If you could literally lift it out of my head and put it on the page, that would be good. But two, my brain, I think we all wish that. yeah, of course, 
my brain decided to write it all at the same time and it properly stopped me from writing for a, for a little while and then I had to be very I had to be very strict with myself and say no today you're writing this chapter and this chapter is about x um and so there are obviously ways to go around it but that's that was my first kind of introduction into plotting was that it just made me very uncomfortable like it wasn't wasn't as much fun but I am I am open to it I'm going to give it a try so we'll see that's good I mean as as I said to people like sometimes when you're trying different techniques it might not work out for you but you'll get something out of it Hmm. you'll learn something you know it's at least that's what I like to think (laughs) doesn't always work out that way so we're now moving into the life portion of the podcast, and this is where we kind of demythify authors. We don't all live in really big rich houses with servants who go to Tesco and Asda for us. Um, and we're not all kind of antisocial either. Uh, we all have friends, and we go to coffee shops, and we go shopping just like everybody else. So that's kind of the fun part of this, is to get to know you as a person rather than obviously as an author where we focus on your work. Hmm. So the first question is, what's the first thing you do when you want to de-stress from editing and writing? I go swimming. I love swimming. I so, love that answer. It's just like, yeah. I go swimming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If I want to clear my head, there's a quarry that I swim in all year round. Um, oh, wow. It's like it's a, it's a properly run club thing, so you can they've got lifeguards and everything. Um, yeah, it's about a twenty minute drive. Put on the music that I want to listen to, and uh, yeah, go for a swim. Love it all year round, um, and it just completely clears my head. The kind of the winter swimming is more about being at one with nature getting yeah. as much sunshine and daylight into me as I possibly can. So from a mental health point of view, it's amazing. It's very important, yeah. And then we're now, now we're in May, it's getting warmer. So it's much more about swimming the, the distance and get, getting the fitness up. So um, it yeah. kind of has different things for me at different. And then of course, being a photographer, I take my camera, I've got a GoPro that I can strap on around my body. And so I'll go and take photographs of the bubbles because there's divers also diving in the quarry and it's really clear blue water so it's beautiful so yeah it's kind of a mixture of many things for me I like that it it does it sounds really fun and very different to you know any other answer we've ever had so I love Mm -hmm. that so are you a crafty person Um, by nature uh crafty as in um like sewing things oh I see yeah yeah like yeah yes um I'm not an artist I can't draw although I I occasionally like to try um I'm more of a knitter definitely not a sewer Ah, I like knitting and I got into a bit of cross stitch when during lockdown so I did a couple of those um uh things you can get online um so yeah the cushions or well, it it's like, um, there's a port. I did a portrait of Virginia oh. Woolf that you can buy online, and you kind of use cross stitch uh, a, a portrait. So at some point, I'm going to get that framed and have up on the wall. Um, yeah, that's incredible. And apparently, you can do your own self portrait, which would be kind mm-hmm. of bizarre. Um, yeah, no, I, I do like doing. I haven't. It, it's very it. difficult, but you can see if you get the stamped version, it's easier. Yes. Rather than trying to do the counted, because the counting used to drive me 
yeah so up the wall because you can't just put it down and go away and come back no because you know when we got married i got a paint by numbers version a diamond version and a cross stitch version and the cross stitch version i plan to keep for myself however not had time to work on it um but I did the paint by numbers one and my mom's like no I don't have any more space for paintings you keep it so we hung it and my husband's like oh I really like that I really like that you went and did that I don't like it but he likes it and that's that's the important thing um but it was really good because like during lockdown I found that writing was harder for me um Mm. because I wasn't going out on the buses and kind of going about and getting that conversation and that inspiration um so I had to kind of have parts of the day where I would go and do something else um Mm. so I'd go do diamond painting or paint you know paint by numbers or I would go and I would sew and I I've sewn a lot um but I grew up with that like my grandmother was a professional knitter by the time she was eight um you know we're part of the Jemison wool factory um, oh, as a family hmm. from Shetland so there's like, like like kind of like I always say crafting legacy there yeah um but I was better with the cross stitch so I, I kind of went in that direction um much to my my nan's chagrin she wasn't too pleased with that but it was almost part of her ladies training for me growing up yeah. she wanted me to be a lady in this sort of idea of ladyism that she wanted um and my mom was very much on board with that so <laughs> I, I learned to cook, I learned to do the housework, and I learned to sew and knit and do all those sort of things. So uh comes in handy now when I think about it, but back then when I was a teenager, I hated it. <laughs> yeah. So my I myself, as the listeners know, have a long-term health um, condition called idiopathic rheumatoid arthritis. I swear I'm not calling you an idiot, because I, I have had that just once a couple of times. Um, and that kind of really makes me slow down and appreciate the day. So what makes you sort of slow down and smell the roses and just really enjoy your day? Um, I like being outside. I, I like being in the garden. I like being amongst the nature. So my favourite place is to sit at the end of the day with a cup of decaf coffee, watching the sunset, feeling uh, oh, the that. sun on my face type thing. So, yeah, it, it's being outside. I think um, I just... Yeah, it's where I feel the most myself. And again, that ties into all the swimming, really. That, you know, it ties yeah. me back to nature. Um, and it's, if it's I so go funny. anywhere, I'm always near water. So, Yeah, and it's so funny you say that. I, When you're saying that, I'm thinking how much you would love to be in Shetland in the summer where mm. it doesn't, the sun doesn't set. Oh, wow. So it's up, like, from, I think it's, like, May all the way through to September. It's just constant daylight. Oh, wow. um, because we get very little daylight. I think it's only a couple hours, you know, a day during the day in the winter that we have sunlight. So for us, like, we all go a bit crazy in the summer. I will not de- deny that. Shetland people do get a little bit nuts because <laughs> there's so much light and we're, we're in general a very creative group of people. So you'll see so many people out at weird one flowers just enjoying it and the northern lights up there are actually amazing you would you would have so much fun photographing that Mm. and if you can go to one of the um one of the sort of more kind of uh protected areas where it's not so windy and cold you would get some really fantastic because it almost looks like little people are dancing across the water 
because they actually touched the water yeah Yeah. so it was just so funny when you said that I was like oh my god she'd love that so many writers go up there yeah in summer it's like a writer's retreat they all go up there um, at different times and they all write and they're really inspired it's it's I, I, I highly recommend it too. Okay, I'm going to add it to my uh, bucket list of places to swim and be. I do apologize for the 14-hour trip, though, from Aberdeen. <laughs> it is a yeah. long trip on the boat, but it is wow. well worth it. Gosh. Uh, the plane's a little bit more scary because it's like uh, they miss 50 meters to one side, you're in the ocean. Yeah. And if they go 50 meters the other way, you're in the ocean. Oh. Or if they're 50 meters short of the runway, you're in the ocean. Wow. Uh, same if they go too far off the end, you're in God. the sea. So it, when you're coming to land, all you can see is water, and you're thinking, "Oh no, no!" no. <laughs> but they do hit, they do hit the runway. <laughs> Sometimes not very gently. Yeah. Sometimes it's like boom, but yeah. <laughs> we do, we do get there eventually. <laughs> um, and that that flight you can actually get from London, and it's oh, right. about three hours, three and a half. Oh wow! Gosh. Okay. So yeah, it's 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 great, and there's. You know, there's so much up there. There really is. Mm. Um, you know, it's a very tourism place nowadays. So, yeah. And you can get to see the original Viking historical um, sort of things where there are actually villages still intact. Oh, wow. Actual sort of villages and, and castles and stuff. And they've got some mystery around there that might inspire you when you come oh, back. yeah. They're very good for inspiring. So we're now on to the... Um, I always see the listener's favorite part, the word game. Oh. And I know everyone dreads this because yeah. it's like, oh, no, no. Um, so we're actually not doing it with books this week. We're going to do a word association just just to give you a little bit of a break, mm. a little bit of fun. Do not worry about weird because we've had some seriously weird responses on this show. <laughs> so your first word is salt. Salt. Well, see. See, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be easy. Okay. Salted caramels. Oh. Um, gosh, I do know, apologize if I get you hungry. Uh, I love salted caramels. That's reminded me of uh, going to stay in a hotel down in Cornwall where um, I got given some salted caramels. They're just lovely. So that's that's what it reminds me of. More sea, I'm afraid, I suppose. Dude, yeah, I don't apologize. I grew Probably up all of my answers already. are going to be water-based at this rate. There's a theme with this, and you <laughs> might pick up on the theme. So uh, the next one is waves. Waves. Oh, um, surfing. Uh, there you go. See, not ocean. <laughs> Cold. <laughs> Cold. Water. Oh, no. That's <laughs> oh, okay. Biting wind. Oh, um, Lapland. I once went to Lapland, and it was, oh, it was seriously cold. The coldest I've ever been. I actually, funnily enough, spent three weeks there with the BBC, so I understand that greatly. I was five years old. So oh, wow. I was on the Jim Fix It show, so it was a very weird experience. Gosh. <laughs> what about a stony beach? Stony beach. Oh, um, Chesil Beach down in Dorset. Oh, Which, okay. Did you know that I think um, Jeff Bezos has if you if he had he has a dollar for every pebble that is on Chesil Beach or he has more more dollars than his uh, pebbles on Chesil Beach something like that yeah I I think it's maybe the second way yeah yeah so um 
it can it enables you to see just how much money he has <laughs> yes I, I i actually agree with that yeah i think that's that's quite awesome okay so uh the next one is northern lights uh philip pullman oh okay I'm, I'm taken aback by that. I was not surprised by the end. Well, that's the only thing. I mean, I have seen the Northern Lights when I was in Lapland, but um, I just think yeah. of the Northern Lights book, the um, Golden Compass. Yeah, yeah. I actually, funnily enough, I do think that too. But I was kind of like, I wasn't sure about <laughs> what people are going to say when I say that one. So I'm always, I'm always surprised with that one. Uh, hot chocolate. Ooh. Oh, oh, um, Narnia. I like that. Hot totty. Now, I am so glad I do not have to explain what that is this time. Hot totty? Yeah, it's an English drink. And uh, with you have read it, you, you know, because you were saying you've read uh, Paul Dark, it's actually a drink that they drink in Paul Dark. Oh, is it? I don't yeah. know that. Yeah. I just, I'd say cup when I hear that word then, because I don't really, it's just not one that's used anymore, really, is it? Uh I think it is, but I think it is for, like, pure drama areas and stuff. So, oh, okay. bath yeah, and all that kind of areas. Mm. Um, okay, so dogs barking. Dogs barking. Annoying. I would agree with that one very, <laughs> very much so. Glass breaking is your final word. Glass breaking. Um, I've just, I don't have a, a word that I can think of, but I can see visually the shards of glass hitting the ground and that kind of noise that it makes. Well, we could go with shards. Yep, shards. Okay, let's go with shards. There, then. Yeah. 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 there we go. We saved the day. <laughs> well, it's been so fantastic to have you on. Oh, thank and you. And I must me. say, I will love to have you back when you have your next novel out because ah. you are totally amazing. I just, I love all the different things you're doing, and to be able to talk to somebody about the market. And all this other stuff has been it's been absolutely amazing and such it's been refreshing because sometimes we get so lost up in the characters and the books and stuff we actually forget about the business side of things the yeah. actual publishing business so it's it's nice to actually have those kind of conversations so I'm so gr- honored for you to come on thank you and this will be out in the middle middleish endish of September oh brilliant so yeah um uh, if there's any books you want to just plug before we go then well just my me. my three coming up for air fix swims the world and my maths book is a stem which we all talked about <laughs> called amazing maths but that's not out until january of next year well, i i think there'll be a lot of people running for that one because <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of parents that are like ah, i gotta teach my kids math yeah. so uh, i think that one will do really well for you Excellent. i can't wait to see that one Brilliant. And I'll buy it uh, for my hobby to give uh, <laughs> for my niece so that she can have it when she's older. Um, she's a bit of a smarty pants at the moment, so I'm kind of, kind of scared <laughs> to give her the mess. <laughs> but yes, it's been lovely having you on. Everyone listen up. And next week, we've got an even more incredible guest on. Her name is Sasha Summers, and I cannot wait to introduce you to her. So I'll see you all again next time.